are about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. of wallowing you're at the right place worst gig ever i'm mike pace i'm jeff garlock this is the podcast where we talk about the worst gigs you've ever had we talk not about you. it all you not but, you you but our guest our guest this week is a hilarious comic who i know from long island originally he lives in the city now his name is tim Dillon. He is a true. He's a true stand-up. He's, he's a true hustling. stand-up. He's rise. He's on the rise. He's he's doing the hustle. He's he's working. And it was it was great to talk to him about because he's just working. I mean, th- this guy is hustling. He's working these jobs. He's a tour guide in New York right yeah. now. He's doing shows and mics all the time. We talk about doing uh, stand-up and open mics on Long Island together. This guy gets it. He gets the concept of the show. He does, and and I think he was he was willing to go into the depths. Yeah, we uh, because I think he's in the depths in a good way. Like yeah. I think he's, and, and I think we got some great stuff out of yeah, him. Yeah, I and you know what? I think he is a promising talent on the rise. You're going to be hearing about this kid, Tim Dillon. Kid, <laughs> keep your eyes hey, peeled. If he's anything like his father, Bob, then <laughs> <laughs> he'll do okay. Speaking of Bob Dylan, you can check out plenty of other episodes of Worst Gig Ever. We have a Tumblr page, worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com. We're on iTunes. We we're are on, on iTunes. We're on Stitcher Radio. We're on Facebook. Also, if you have any ideas for guests, send us an email over at worstgigever at gmail.com. Correct. You can also follow us on Twitter. I am at Mike E. Pace. And I am at G. Garlock. Yeah. So I think that that is fucking great. It's not as great as this episode. That's right. So uh, Tim Dillon on Worst Gig Ever. Take it away. Buffy. <laughs> the vamp. Uh, I'll get <laughs> the I'll vamp. I divide worst gigs into there's two categories, and I don't know if this is the same for musicians, but it might be. There is threat of physical violence, uh-huh. which is category one, right. which is it, it, it's see it's it's I would I, I on some days I would say well that's the absolute worst right right but then the the flip side of that is threat of physical violence and then <laughs> soul crushing sadness <laughs> where. Yeah. You are really evaluating your life choices. You're thinking about you getting go. your real estate license. <laughs> I could have gone to law school. In the threat of a physical violence situation, generally it's a heckler. It's somebody who's drunk and angry, sure. but there's something happening. Right. Like you're involved. You're, doing, you're practicing your craft of comedy. It's not going well, and you may be fearful, <laughs> but it's happening. Right. Yeah. Something is happening, and you know on some level if you make it out alive, you're going to have a great story, and you're going to learn. Exactly. You're learning something. You're, you're participating in life. Right. The other side of the coin is stories where you are just, you're watching your life from inside of yourself. One of those stories, which just to start off with, I like to start off real sad and move on, was a, was a <laughs> New Year's <laughs> Eve show on Long Island uh-huh. where, by the way, New Year's Eve, 
unless you're in Vegas, unless you're a big name, it's 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 a tough yeah. sell. Sure. For comedy, people want to go out. They want to get drunk. They want to hook up with people. They want to see people they haven't seen in a long time. Uh, and but, not sit quietly and watch you. Right. And not sit and go, where is this going? This right. is so fascinating. He's I'm being very, right. He's being so revealing. Um, I should have known it was a problem. The booker of the show, who's also a comedian, won't mention his name. Not, not a good comedian. He's been doing it for a long time on Long Island forever. Mm-hmm. And he's a booker of the show. Him and his wife booked the show. He, he said to me, he's like, you know, this New Year's Eve, we're going to do a comedy show. He's like, because I really feel like there's a hunger for something different. <laughs> I should have ran at that point as soon as <laughs> that hunger. was said. As soon as he had, it, 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 like, that was the, because right. he had thought and marinated on that idea that right. people wanted something different. I'm he like, was going to okay. change the world that night. <laughs> well, I walked into the gig and I said to myself, well, I had been way hard on this guy. <laughs> I had been extremely, because there, was, there were noisemakers, the whole bar was, was decorated, him and his wife were there, they were standing at the door, they were getting ready to check tickets. I said, and I brought a friend with me, and I said, oh, I said, you know what? I said, I'm such a cynic. But sometimes, because it's true, and you know, you guys know, sometimes you walk into a gig going, this is going to be a horror show. Yes. And it's great. Yeah. yeah. Right? The sometimes surprise. You, you, right. You so, love to be surprised like that. Oh, you, lo- you, you, you love to be proven that. wrong. Right. Yeah, you're proven wrong oh, is no. the key. Because yeah. you think, I figured it out, but yes. Okay. And I thought this was that. Mm-hmm. I thought this was that situation. I'm going to be proven wrong. Right. I'm here. It's going to be a good New Year's. People are going to go, okay, well... When I say no one came, I mean no one came. I mean not one person came to the show. Not a walker by, not a drunk, not somebody asking for money, not a homeless vagrant, not one person showed up. And that, by the way, is very hard to do. Uh, on, on New Year's Eve, someone would just open the door. I mean, I've been at gigs where there was, they were not good audiences, but someone came. I'm talking about the other comics came and left (laughs) the bookers were there and me i'm the only one who stayed here's the thing because i don't drink i'm sober right i have nowhere to go on new year's eve i'm not paying a hundred dollars to stand in a bar sober i mean i have nowhere to go now here's the most disturbing thing about this whole show by the way they want me to still perform (laughs) they want me to do my set just in case him and his wife are not treating this like anything's wrong they're blowing noisemakers yeah they're very festive they're doing like, and they're just getting, they're getting, and they're not even that drunk. Right. Like they're having a couple of drinks, but it's like, this is such a disaster and a tragedy for my life. My friend had to leave because it was too sad. My friend left. My friend goes, this is too sad. Before you performed? As I was like the first couple of lines, he had to get up because it was the saddest <laughs> thing ever. His New Year's was being ruined by the fact that I was performing to an empty bar to these two crazy people who were blowing noisemakers like that. That was like one of the times I said to myself, and, and by the way, like, they're both morbidly obese. Not that that is, sure. you know, I'm not, I mean, nobody can see me, but I, I'm, I'm not, you know. For the I, listener. Right, right. For, for the listener, I, I wouldn't call myself morbidly obese, but let's just say I'm paunchy. Um, and, but see, and they made out in front of oh. me. They're making out. No, there was no apology. There was no, like, sorry. They didn't even address the fact that no one came. Like, there was no, like, I was almost like, is this, is it, like, this is, like, am I in some type of, re- like, reoccurring acid trip? Like, have I, like, this is an other dimension, because they are so thrilled with this, and they're so happy, and they're drunk, and they're making out, and I'm performing to an empty bar, and it's just the saddest thing. And right, a- like, right after that, I was really depressed, 
Um, I spoke to my friend and my friend just kind of shook his head because there's these moments in comedy where you're riding these highs and everything's great oh, yeah. and all your friends support mm. you. It's a hard thing for people to kind of support anyway. Yeah. They're like, so you're going to do this every night. You're not going to make any money. You're going to do this for years and then you're going to get on TV and still not make any money right. and then continue to do this for years and then pitch a show to a network and then maybe not have it picked up right. and still not make any money. And then there's a very small chance that after you've worked hard and devoted your whole life to this, you make a living doing what you love. That, on Long Island, they're just like, yo, get a Beamer. Dude, get a car. You know what I mean? They don't get, they don't understand. I mean, it sounds that. like a great business plan yeah. to be. But. You know, right. So it's like, so on nights where it's great yeah. and it right. goes well, and like, you now know, we get it. We get what get you're it. doing. Because they're, they're so impressed. They're like, oh, Galifianakis went on, uh, you know, two right. people after you, or, you know, Chris Rock, or, or whatever it was. It's just really cool. But on a night like that, where you're performing basically to yourself in a yeah. bar on New Year's, and it is so sad. I think it was so sad, by the way, that my friend, and this is how low self esteem I have, I didn't leave. Right. No one was keeping me there. <laughs> it was not a paid gig. Right. I had to go to the depths. Like, I, there was no one. Coming up to me going, you better not leave. I was getting no money for this. Right. But not one part of me thought to leave. Like yeah. every other comic came in and was like, I'm leaving. My friend <laughs> left because it was too depressing. But I said, I'm riding this out. And that's part of who I am, I think, yeah. is to just stare that abyss in the face and just go, you know, it's bad. Let's see how bad it can get. Like, oh, this is bad now. How about right. New Year's when I'm not kissing anyone and I'm watching these two make out? And, you know, right. and it was so – that's – so what is it? Is it a masochistic, uh, uh, a masochistic desire for recognition? I mean, and I'm saying this as someone who's got these sure, same traits. Sure. Uh, is it just a kind of a weird desire to beat yourself? I don't know. You know, up? I'm a, am, am I, it's like I'm a glutton for punishment. I, there's a great. I love. There's a folk singer I like. Her name is Dar Williams, and uh-huh. she's. Just, I'm a big fan of her. Uh, and she said something once at a concert that I thought really kind of applied to me. I don't know if this is hers. I don't know if she was quoting it, but I heard her say it, and she said. I don't do things for the moral of the story. I do them for the story. Right. And I think that's yeah. very much me. I don't, right. I'm not learning lessons as I go as much as I'd like to, right. but I am, there is always a story. And I, I mean, when I first moved to New York City about, it'll be a year ago in August, I moved in with, you know, a methamphetamine, an ex-methamphetamine addict and her right. husband. I knew it was going to be a horror, right. but I did it anyway. Yeah. I was told by everyone else in, in, in the community, people that we knew not to do it, and I did it. Right. I took a job in Staten Island, and I had to commute every day on a ferry. I knew it was going to be the worst thing in the world, right. but I did it anyway. Uh, you know, this is who I am. I, can't, I, I wish I could tell you why. I wish I could tell you why I am so drawn to things that test me as a per- – test my ability. It's like, how much can I take? Right. And I think that night was part of it. It's like, if I can sit through this show, if I can get up there and do yeah. 15 minutes to no one – Right on New Year's Eve, and like I, I and I can go home and wake up and then still go back to do comedy the next day. Right, it, you know. Then maybe you know. And again, it only it's only been it, it, the the bad times have only gotten worse. Sure. That was one of the good sure. times. I had no idea. But I think a lot of this is about how much can you take. You know, great line from the Joan Rivers documentary: "How much? How long can you stand in the rain?" Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, because it reminds – I mean, I've brought it up before, but it's one uh-huh. of my like, kind of life mottos, and I don't know if it should be. But it feels like there's this movie, Rolling Thunder, uh, and it's about this Vietnam vet who is a POW, of and course. he comes back. Yes. And then uh, he finds out his wife uh, has left him, and the guy who uh, she left him for asks him, like, you know, what did they do to you in the POW right. camp? Mm-hmm. And he's like, they used to tie my hands, like, in the back with right. rope and pull it up. And then he makes him do it to him. Wow. And he's like, and he's like, you hear that? You hear it? You pull it till you hear the bone crack. 
And he goes, how did you get through that? He's like, you learn to love, to, you learn to love the rope. Wow. Like, Once you learn you to go. love that rope, they can't beat you. I mean, that's it. And I think yeah. about that all the time. And I like, well, t- like, that's the motto, it sounds like. And right. let, let me ask, how much of that of you get, going into these situations right. can you then mine for material? Or uh, using it as like, I know that this living situation is going to be horrible. I know this job in Staten Island. You know what it is? But I can get something out of it. You know it. what right. it is? Yes. Sometimes it is material. Sometimes it's indirect material. Right. Meaning this. Sometimes the misery and anger spurs thoughts about other things. So it's not directly related to. Like I have a couple of jokes about my time living there. Sure. But it was really that the first seven months in New York City, I lived in a place where I never wanted to be home. Right. I was always at open mics or shows. I was always out there mining for material. I'd walk around Times Square at night because I wouldn't want to go home to them fighting. Right. It was like I was 10 again. You know what right. I mean? This was a, a total, you know. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it is material from that direct situation. Sometimes it just puts you in a frame of mind where you're like, I have to laugh about this. Right. That's where my humors always come from. I have guys that are, still, that are my buddies are sketch guys. Some of them are improv dudes. I mean, because they're, you know, they're, they're, they all bring different skill sets to the right. table. Um, and to me, I, I, my humor has always come from let me make what's tragic funny. Right. Because my whole life is kind of, I've had some tough things where I went, yeah. let me, you know, I mean, my mom's a paranoid schizophrenic. I tell mm-hmm. jokes about that. People are like, well, how can you do that? Because it's hilarious. Right. Have you ever spoken to a schizophrenic? It's hilarious. Right. If you don't think schizophrenia is funny, nothing's funny. Right. To me, that's, that's where I'm from. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Um, I'm a gay person. Homophobia is hilarious to me. Right. If you don't think homophobia is funny and bullying and suicide are funny, nothing's funny. Right. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> so to me, that's the type of guy I am. And that's the type of I, – I made those jokes to all my friends where they would be like, I can't believe he just said that. Right. So, I mean, that's part of, I think, why I just – I go into the I go into the, the fire. Well, let's, let's talk – yeah. go back a little bit because for the listener, Tim and I – we're doing open mics in Long Island a few years ago, yes. and you had started a few months before me, right? And but and when you, you were very fresh to comedy, you were coming from a v- completely different place. Like, I was, talk about yeah, getting into I was, comedy. I what was you were a, doing up until absolutely. Then. I mean, I was a, a loan officer at a mortgage bank on Long Island, which is what you <laughs> did when you had a good line of bullshit and you didn't graduate college, and you your cocaine dealer said, "Why don't you talk to Vinny, <laughs> who runs a bank?" And you're like, "Oh, okay," you know, and so I was that, you know, which involved, you know, prospecting for new business, which would involve being like, you know, going up to people and being like, do you want to live in a mansion? Right. <laughs> and they're like, yes. And I'm like, I knew I could do this. <laughs> I am a salesman. We're going to loan you $900,000. You have to pay $18 a month. Right. You, oh, you'll do it? <laughs> I did have a gift, Dad. You're right. I did have a gift. You're right. Hard work. Um, and what, what happened was after that, I was miserable, and I was, I was still in the closet. I was still trying to date uh, uh, chubby women, and we'd go, go out and have these amazing dinners all over New York. <laughs> I'm famous for really good dinners where you'd fill yourself up where you could not have even think about right. kissing someone, yeah. let alone oh. the act of physical lovemaking. You look beautiful, after the but... <laughs> meals. Uh, I'm talking Southern Italian <laughs> steakhouses, I, real... Real heavy stuff. You're a red sauce guy, yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. You're not kidding. A lot of gravy. I'm talking about like a tryptophan, like go to bed food. Yeah. Um, More turkey and wine. So after that, I I was a raging alcoholic (laughs) as well. (laughs) Sherry on top, okay? Raging alcoholic. So, (laughs) So... 
I got I got what happens. I think every young man around twenty five, you get uh, summons for jury duty, and <laughs> yeah. you're on a murder, torture, and rape trial in Long Island, <laughs> and you realize while sitting there, what well, by the way, auditioning for the trial, wanting to get on it because you hated your life so much, going <laughs> saying things. They're like, Mr. Dillon, your license has been suspended several times. You must you must hate the police. Well, uh, Madam Prosecutor, uh, I think uh, I hate myself because it taught me to pay my tickets, our uh, responsibility. <laughs> and wait, all, you were, didn't you also do some child acting? As, so I this was, was like an audition little, for you. When I was a little guy, I was uh, on, on Co- Comedy Central skit. I was on Sesame Street. I was on a few yeah. commercials. I never made it big. I tried out for like Home Alone. I have jokes right. about it. But so you um, were essentially auditioning for jury duty. Yeah, I was like, auditioning <laughs> for jury the gig. But yeah. I, was, I was a talented little child actor. When I was seven, I was, I was a cute little kid. I, the problem was I, I spoke exactly like I do now. Right. So it was very... Did, Jarring for right. a director, yes. you know, and they didn't, they couldn't find the niche of it, like a seven year old, <laughs> the little Harvey Firestein, right. <laughs> like an eight year old book, bookie didn't really, you know, they didn't, there was no anti smoking PSAs at the time. Right. Um, but I was so I got the thing of jury duty, and then I just had a total full on breakdown. I said, I have to, like, so, sometime in the middle of jury duty, I was looking at this prosecutor, she was so good, the guy was very guilty, right? But this prosecutor is very good at what she did, and I said to myself, when I watched her give a closing statement, I said, she's meant to do what she's doing, right? Like, mm-hmm. she goes home every night and she. Whatever she does, but she pay, head hits the pillow. She goes, all right, fought another day. Right. This is what I'm meant to do. I'm going home every night going, I'm drinking myself asleep. I right. hate mortgages and I hate women. Right. And let's get away from those two immediately. Right. And, and, then, and then it was always, I'd always been the guy that was making people laugh. And in the jury duty room, they were saying, you know, we hear the most horrendous details of, you know, we hear the forensics and then we see the, you know, you can only imagine. And they're like, but you come in here every day and you make us laugh. Right. Have you ever thought of stand up? And I'm like, yeah, well, I have, but you know, I, you know. <laughs> and uh, so then eventually I just said to myself, all right, I'm coming out, I'm quitting drinking, I'm starting stand up. And that was two and a half years ago. Yeah. I saw Mike Pace walked into an open mic about, I was about six months in when yeah. I saw you. Yeah. Um, Mike Pace was very. Uh, artistic. He was had a <laughs> hipster vibe. Sure. He, you know, was in music, yeah. and he was all this Brooklyn. He was like a Brooklynite, and Mo Diggs was very right. excited <laughs> to have someone who was very cultured. He was like. Mike Pace is a climber. He's a climber. Mo Diggs is a 300-pound Egyptian <laughs> infant that we do comedy with. You can who, check out his episode of the you podcast. You can check out Mo Diggs' episode. Yeah, but he was very, first told me about Mike Pace. He's like, he's going to play Tim. He's going to go places. He could be a writer. And I'm like, okay. Um, and, and Mike Pace, from the very beginning, was always very friendly, which yeah. is why I knew that he might not last that long in comedy. He's very friendly. A friendly guy. And very not, like, he was just a nice guy and didn't seem to be, you know, but but it was very funny too. I mean, you were funny and you had jokes and you Thanks. wrote and you got up and you came and you tried. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like I never felt that you were phoning it in or that you didn't care. It was it was up and down whether you would stay with yeah. it or not because yeah. it was like you know whenever we had a new guy walk into the scene, some of them were just so horrible that it was like please don't come back. Some of them were just like not serious. They're like getting and telling jokes that they heard in a movie, right? To their girlfriend <laughs> yeah. and like right. they're like take me on the iPhone, put it on Facebook. Tell them we're doing. I'm doing comedy for the first time. I'm headlining. My wife. I think. I think. But a little background is that doing stand up on on Long Island. We talked about this in the on, yeah, the, in on, a on the motion, parlor in a ta- wild yeah. child tattoo with Y's nice. instead of eyes. Right. It was a very concentrated small. I mean, there were. 10, 15 supportive group that were doing all the same mics. And so for me, at least going, I didn't know that an open mic, you could bring notes the first time I did it. So, you know, I tried to memorize this thing. And then I did the second one with you guys later that night in Amityville. 
Because I because I went up to right. Dennis Rooney, another comment. I was like, where else do you guys do this? And, and he's like, we're said, we're all going to this other one. You did exactly what I did. You just so, go up to the guys there. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, how do I do this? Because right. you know nothing other than okay, I've got these ideas that I think are funny. You don't know what comedy is. You know, you don't know that there's open mics going on in coffee shops in bars. Right. You don't know absolutely that shows yeah. in bowling alley. You and know, it what feels I mean? impenetrable. Like when you first see it, you're like, there's this core group, but it's just like, what? They're a group. Like, and you know, it's like, how do you get up? There? How do you? Right. Get but the additionally, oh, by the way, and Scott Schenlinger, another Long Island comic, asked me if I was gay the first time that I met him. Yeah, Scott, because gotta... Scott's a pervert. I mean, he's not gay. He's <laughs> no. just a sexual deviant. Right. So but he likes to know every what everyone's into. Part and parcel of of this group. And maybe you can speak to this is that yeah. I, there's a f- what I would call fairly large recovery, quote unquote, comedy scene on Long Island. There was a lot of, well, maybe I mean, it's not large, but there were a lot of guys you know who were coming is? from well, there, there's substance a, there's abuse. There's a lot, right, that there's a lot, there were a lot of guys in comedy in general yeah. that are either in the program, which I mean, I'm, I won't say what the program is, <laughs> but we know, you know. <laughs> There are things we cannot change. Yeah. Let's try to help the ones Remember we Remember that can. movie, The Program, the football movie? That's oh, what you're talking that's about. that's what we're talking about. Um, yeah. But there, there's, there's a lot of guys that are recovering from alcohol, drugs, right. whatever it is. Um, in comedy, on Long Island, the scene is so small. You have like two of them. But that's literally a quarter of the scene <laughs> yeah, because right. there's nine regulars. So right. two yeah. is a big number. And they get a lot of recovery shows. Um, and, you know, some of those shows can be great because the people are like really – happy and they're like you know i you know i'm just i'm just happy to be alive type thing right and then some of them is literally a judge was like do you want to go to jail or do you want to go to this halfway house where you're going to see comedy right now you know what i mean like that was the that was a and they thought about it for a second and they were right and they were like well okay (laughs) and then they choose comedy and you're up there and they're on like tweaking on thorazine whatever they give them you know 24 hours in and you know these are not people who came out for the love of the joke you know what i mean um and I know that we did a, one of those rooms out in Brentwood. Yeah, that was. That and was, I remember that was tough for you. That was like what you were. T- what that you were was saying the beginning before. of. I think the end. I know when one of your ends was though. We went to the creek in a cave in Long Island City. Oh yeah, that was rough. And you had a really rough. They have a six o'clock mic there that's yeah. real rough. And Mike Pace went up, and <laughs> and I said, "It's it's like. Have you guys seen the Never Ending Story? Of course. Yes. Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, I don't even know why I'm saying that. We're in <laughs> fucking movie. Williamsburg. Get it together. You know what I mean? You. We're doing yeah. a podcast in Williamsburg. Yeah, exactly. uh, you know what I mean? There's a Never Ending Story poster right. behind you, right? <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> Falcor is the rug. You have a dog piece. that looks like Falcor. <laughs> um, the, you know the scene. I forget what it's called. I think it's called the Oracle, where if you if there's any self doubt, the eyes open uh, of the yeah. statues, yeah. and they right. yeah. get that's this mic. Right. This mic yeah. is two minutes, and if you show Brutal. any self doubt, it's over. Yeah. Right. And there was no better feeling coming from Long Island and doing well at that mic. None. Like I'd walk in with all my Long Island buddies and be like, "We all gonna stick together. We all gonna applaud for each other." I'd go first and do really well. I'd be like, "Fuck those people." I wouldn't even <laughs> sit with them. I'd sit with all the city guys and be like, "I don't know yeah. any of these people." Yeah, because you do. And it was just like, um, and we'd all be driving home. They'd be like, "You're such a piece of shit," you know. And I'd be like, "Whatever, dude." I had a great joke about Simba, and you didn't. Um, but I remember when Mike Pace went because this was our big Friday thing. We'd go out to Long Island, and we'd go, I mean, we'd go out to Long Island City, yeah. and we'd get you know guacamole and yeah. hang out with the city guys because right. they were they were big and tough and cool. <laughs> and then some of them had been on TV and then Montreal, and it was you know, and it was it was it was a real deal. It right. wasn't like performing at you know the Crack Shack out in Suffolk <laughs> County. And I remember Mike Pace got off the stage, and you you had a rough you had a rough yeah. set. Yeah, that was that was. And Mike Pace just had the most. Sometimes you hear things in comedy that are so authentic and so vulnerable and so real. And it was, and I still remember this. Mike Pace goes, he goes, that wasn't fun. 
<laughs> and it was this real, you just wanted to hug him though. It was yeah. not like a cocky, like, fuck them. It was just like, that wasn't yeah, fun. And it right. was white as a ghost. And I said, I said, there's a good chance that, because after a situation like that, yeah. you really have to say to yourself, okay, am I, and which by the way, I respect you a million percent for going, this is not for me. Right. Yeah. This is not for me because there's guys that, it's one thing if you would turn around and you said, okay, I'm working day in, day out, night and day. I'll ruin my marriage. I don't care. I'm going to get those laughs. Yeah. But then there's guys that go, okay, I'm getting reactions like that, but you know what? And, and not only in that room, but everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they go, I'm just not, I'm just going to hang out, coast, right. and, and, and waste time. And I, was, I, I liked that well, you were not you know that what? I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you the story behind that because my rationale going into always wanting to try stand-up was, well, when I move back to the city, right. that'll be more my kind of mentality and that should be, that's where maybe I'll fit in better there. That's where but, it's at. but when I was living on Long Island at the time, I was like, no, 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 wait a second. I don't know anyone, know anyone here anymore. Right. This is the place to like right. get in the dregs and like this, the trenches <laughs> this and try is it. it. And right. so that's what I did. Yeah. And very quickly, um, I, I, I liked all of you guys and I felt comfortable very quickly. Right. And so when I realized that like this is not something that I wanted to pursue full time, quote unquote, and I can try to make these guys laugh, the Long Island guys, when we did go to, to the Creek in the Cave in Long Island, I was like, oh, okay, maybe this crowd will actually like right. really find my stuff funny. And it was a fucking cattle call two minutes and like... And it wasn't what I expected, and it was really kind of that nail in the coffin of being like, yeah, well, this, is, this isn't fun. I exactly. think when I, when I first went to the creek, I saw how many people were so serious. You go to these Long Island mics, you have nine guys. Right. Everyone's like, you know, everyone knows each other. Everyone wants to do well, but so much of doing well is, you know, joking about things that we all know about. Right. I could do my Mo Diggs impression, and I have... Right for thirty minutes out there, right? And it's funny. In fairness, it does kind of work in shows because people just love the idea of like that Paul Barrow. Sure. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> may he rest in peace. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. May That's he right. rest in peace. But I think when I first went to the creek, I said, "Wow, this is a room. It's packed with forty people. There's yeah. people being told we don't have enough time for you, and they're all here on a Friday to get two minutes. It's crazy. People yeah. from Long Island will not go to a mic in the rain. Right. These guys. And by the way, everyone in the creek had their notes out. They yeah. were working. They were recording their sets. It was a big deal. People in that room had been on TV. They had agents and managers. They were starting to quit their day jobs. Mm. Several of my friends just had their Comedy Central half hours come out. Right. Yeah. These guys started six years ago, like you, like me, yeah. walking into an open mic going, how do I do this? Now they do this for a living. Right. That's the stakes in New York. Yeah. And it's very real. Long Island, there are not those stakes. Right. And, and I don't care who disagrees with me or who, you know what I mean? It's just not. Anything in Long Island versus anything in New York City, right. it, the stakes are not the same. I'm not yeah. saying you can't have a perfectly nice experience doing stand-up comedy out in Long Island. And I'm not saying that it's impossible to get discovered out there because nothing's impossible. Yeah. But probability, numbers... If you want to make a living at this, if you really want to give it a shot, you have to be in New York City. So, so I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, I mean, how I, I know it's just kind of that tenacity thing, but it's, it's like, how do you push through the fact that, like, that's my experience as well with, like, mm. these type of open mics in the city is, like, it's pushing through the amount, like, the amount of comics you have to kind of almost get around. You like, have to. Because, like, I did want the creek that we've talked about, like, that was, like, the last time I've done stamp because I only do it now and then. 
But it was one of those deals. It was like everyone who shows if up can never, do it. If you're never around, right. forget it. Because yeah. if you were, do it once a month, yeah. The guy who goes to the gym once a month, yeah. What's exactly. the point? Yeah. You know right. what I mean? It's yeah. you if you want respect from those guys. Right. Those guys all moved here, by the way, from other states. Right. I guess I also this. mean the endurance of dealing with those shows. Only because for me, that was actually the thing that killed me the most was I got there at eleven yeah. and went on at one forty to three people after twenty five well, to thirty. I'll other relate comics. that to yeah. To and a, and yeah. I cut my three minute set in half <laughs> oh, and just wow. started talking about commando because I was just like, There's no one here. That might have killed at the creek though. I mean if you'd done that the right I way. I think if I had yeah, gotten right. earlier, I yeah. think actually it would have, but um, I'll relate that to another story of a horrible six, another... six punchlines about hummus <laughs> before that. So But another story of a horrible gig where I, I talk about like here's what I think it is. I think it's about the you know, I, I had a gig. My friend got me a, a, a talent show at New York Law School. Right. Okay? He said, I want you to participate <laughs> in a talent show at New York Law School. So I was like, okay. Lord sounds Michael great. stops by there a lot. Yeah. <laughs> New York Law School, they did this talent show in a cavernous, huge bar with like 400 people. Right. High ceiling. You know, the worst environment for stand-up ever. Like, music's right. still on. So I said... <laughs> Nobody was listening to these poor kids. And by the way, if you're a lawyer, can you just be a lawyer? Right. You know what I mean? You're not Greg Giraldo. Like, you're not going right. to, like, there's very few that are going to be I'm the, the funny lawyer. Right. <laughs> but it wasn't even like guys trying to be the funny lawyer. It was like people coming out playing, like, piano solos badly, you know? <laughs> and, like, messing up their hand position yeah. and everything. <laughs> and, like, having to start again. And people, like, yelling out in the crowd being like, don't worry about it, Jenny. And I'm like, no, worry about it. You're an adult. This is a show. What are you doing? So I get up in New York, I said it would be really funny to just kind of taunt them because I thought it was NYU. Right. And just taunt them about like, <laughs> you know, how stoned were you guys when you took the LSATs? You know, this yeah. isn't a law school. It's a Ponzi scheme. You know, the, the winner of this talent show gets to go to a real law school. Right. I thought that would be a great way to do it. Now, I am getting heckled and people are yelling at me. Guys are threatening to fight me. These drunk guys were like, yeah. fuck you. And I'll, I'll find you outside. And my friend's standing there. He's laughing hysterically. By the way, the same friend who left... The first gig, <laughs> this was my friend who was unemployed who came to every gig with me, <laughs> including like urban rooms in East New York at like 2 a.m. We're like, we're walking to our car, almost going to get killed. Like he just loved going to these things. And he never minded when things went bad. It was just that sadness got to him. Yeah. So he's standing there laughing hysterically. These guys are yelling at me. Um, I make it out of there. Nobody attacks me. Obviously, they're, they're lawyers. They're not going to hit me. Right. They're just yelling. It's not like a bar in Suffolk County when somebody may right. stick you with a knife. They understand the law. The, so they're, you know, they're, they're, they're beating their chest. Yeah. The yes. next day, there was like 10 people on the thing, right? The set goes horribly. You know, but I mean, there's, there's people, you can see people laughing, like scattered and everything. The set goes horribly. The next day, I get a phone call. My friend's like, you came in fourth. <laughs> I was like, well, excuse me? They go, yeah, you came in fourth. I was like, out of what? They're like, out of 12. I'm like you. There's, 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 there's people that have to explain that they came in behind the kid who didn't even go to the school and insulted everyone for ten minutes. Like, how much does that crush your dream of being a concert pianist? Right. If you have to say, "Oh, I came in ninth. Who came in before you? Remember that kid who didn't even go here who told us all to go fuck ourselves and we threatened to kick his ass? They thought he was more valuable than me. So it's like mm -hmm. shit like that. Like you think it's gonna be horrible, but even that. Gave me like a little boost. Even right. I don't even care why they voted for me. Right. I don't even care if it was to spite other people. I thought to myself, I said, somebody genuinely respected right. that I got up there and did that. Because you saw little pockets of people laughing. Yeah. Somebody genuinely respected that and went, you know, so it's like stuff like that. 
you go to yourself, you're like, okay, you know what? I'm living this crazy life. I'm doing this crazy thing. I'm going to have to do things that aren't fun, that yeah, aren't, right. that aren't you, you don't feel that are worth your time, that are beneath you. You're going to have to do all the... One of my friends, Mike Lawrence, who just had a Comedy Central half hour, he's a brilliant comedian. He worked at McDonald's mm. before he did comedy. He said that was great preparation mm -hmm. because he said you never felt anything was beneath you right. when you got into yeah. stand-up. And that was such a great line to hear because to me, I thought about that and I said to myself, I came from a world where I was making a little money and stuff like that, so I did feel like certain things were beneath But really quickly, I learned that it was just like... I will do any gig I get now. Right. If, as long as it's somewhat affordable in terms like I'm not going to bankrupt myself doing a sure. gig. I'm not going to put myself in crazy physical danger to do a gig. But other than that, I mean, I'm game to do it. So, I mean, I think your question is like, how do you push through all those little guys? It's those little moments. Right. That you a victory, right? And even though that's not a technical moment of victory, it's like I didn't kill. Sure. I had a horrible set. Sure. I just found that his, that's a his, that's a great story, yeah, right? That like I ruined someone's day. That some idiot who was playing the Glockenspiel had to be like, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I lost to that guy. Like to right. me, the craziness of this whole thing, those little victory moments, you just put in a jar, yeah, and you keep there. Those those sets that go great. Those times people come up to you afterwards and go, "Wow, you're hysterical." Emails you get from comics going, hey, man, I just started. I saw you. I think you're really funny. And like all that stuff, you just put it away for those times when you're sitting New Year's Eve and no one comes <laughs> and you're watching obese people make out. So that's actually – that's a perfect segue into – I mean when you do the New Year's Eve show, when you do the um, – I remember a story you had performing in a bookstore maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you do oh, – yeah. tell I, that one. And I say, play all the venues. But uh, <laughs> the idea is that – how long do you and if you know that the set goes badly right i mean do you allow your how long do you allow yourself to stew and sit on it before you move it's on it's never more than one usually one day unless mm -hmm. it's a huge like i haven't had huge things right. like i never had a tv spot go badly i've never had a tv spot so <laughs> i could see people going into funks i know people that have had auditions for things that didn't go well sure they go into two to three month funks yeah right which is not unheard of right and uh, and very imaginable that that could happen sure um i've only been in a day funk maybe a day and a half because yeah. i'm so about okay what's next right yeah. um i i you know i look at it as a long game I'm not going to be famous tomorrow. Right. I may never be famous. My goal out of this is to make a living doing what I love. Yeah. Right. Would I love to be rich and famous and influential and have people herald me and say, look at your work and you're, you're a great comedian and I, yeah, that's the dream and that's what we all want. Everybody that does this on the level that I do it and does it every day right. and does it on top of a day job, which you hate and you yeah. just go through it, you, you want that. You want, it, you want to walk into a theater and have people stand up and cheer. But if that never happens, if you can just eventually at one point say, okay, no more day job, I'm just going to do what I love. Right. If you find a niche somewhere uh, in this crazy world of entertainment, you're better than 99% of the guys who've tried this right. and had to go back to that cubicle right. in, some, in, you know, in some fashion. They had to go. So I look at it as playing the long game of like no one thing's going to make or break you. Just, just keep your mind Right. It's being realistic yeah. about your your end goals. And like being in, delusional. I'm yeah. mentally well, ill. Maybe I, that, I right. go to bed every night going, I'm, I am the gay Martin Luther King. Sure. I will <laughs> topple the empire of Bravo. I represent something genuinely new right. and different. Yeah. The industry is afraid of me. Right. Damn them. Um, I deserve this. My mother's schizophrenic. Right. I deserve, you know, and that's what it's keeps finding me that It's finding that mix of that. It's like, I've got this, I've got this thing that people want. But right. also not being like, oh, why am I not 
Louis C.K. right, right now, which right. is the equivalent of as my wife. And those are the dudes who quit because it's yeah. like if you right. if you th- if you every day you wake up expecting to be. I mean, that's a crushing defeat yeah. every day. Right. Well, because my wife pointed out once, she's like, "That's like you just saying like, oh, why can't I be Jimmy Page like from Led Zeppelin on guitar right, right now without right. practicing it, the, yeah, that?" Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is keeping that having that reality check. Yeah. But I think that, that what you were what you were just talking about of of having. And having your own voice, and the and the thing that if allow me to blow some smoke, but you know when 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 we were uh, when we were doing the mics on Long Island, it was very apparent to me that you had a unique voice. Oh yeah, I'm the and, best. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. There's no argument there. But, I don't think anyone would is, argue that. This is this is and I remember <laughs> us. I, okay, so the industry would, you know, for, bookers what might. People whose job is to make money off selling the product yeah. of a person, they might not. But but okay, so so just just a little background for the like Tim and I did a show at a halfway house that yep. was a complete. I love you calling it a halfway. Me. They were not near halfway of anything. <laughs> we did a show at a re a court ordered rehab, which it means was, again it's jail comedy yeah. night. Right. And it was one of the things where the to the guys who were booking the show, the guy one guy had a rubber hand who was booking the show. <laughs> If you remember, oh yeah, Keith, yeah. just playing Keith. Yeah. Um, he still, I still work with him. I did a networking event in Suffolk County with him two nights ago. Really? Where it was a book that twenty authors contributed to this book. They all got up and did three minutes about how they overcame something in their life. Yeah. He overcame doing crack. Yeah. Some guy overcame doing diabetes, and they said, "All right, now the comedian." And I got up and I did fifteen minutes of stand up yeah. in the middle. They're a great audience, wow. and that. Well, the, but the the point, the show. I, I mean, and I knew going into that it was going to be a, it was going to be a train wreck because I was <laughs> I didn't I did not know what to, how to go off the cuff and handle. The, sure. I was told before, and you know, these guys are a little raw. You may have to go off book. Right, a, a little, little raw, meaning they were, they were robbing their grandmother yeah, at yeah. gunpoint but an hour ago. We walked out of that show uh, together or, or, or beforehand, and you said, and you were telling me, it's like, look, there's some stuff that I'm not going to do for this. I'm not going to do gay stuff for this. Right. And right. completely over my head, no idea that you were gay at all. I was like, oh, he's right. got gay material. Interesting. Um, but <laughs> I point that out only because I feel that that totally contributes to the unique voice that you have yeah especially with the literal timber of your voice and some people will disagree with me like about that like I will if somebody gives me money I will do a Christian college and not mention that I'm gay and I will make you laugh about other things sure and I will argue with comedians all day and they're like but you're not being all of you and I'm like you know when you can be an all of you when you're on an HBO right I don't like day jobs I don't want to be a tour guide in Times Square on the top of a double decker bus for the rest of my life let's talk about that which is what I do but I mean just quickly make another point when it's a real situation or I'm not being paid or something like that. Now, I usually, 99% of the time, will do material about who I am, about being gay. But, like, am I going to do it? I've joked with a, a punchline cup of semen. You know what I mean? Right. These are a bunch of guys who just got off the streets and stuff like that. And I can relate to them on other levels. Sure, I'm not right. necessarily going to take it there. It's knowing yeah. your audience enough well, and knowing also ma- knowing you've got enough material that you don't have to And it's to paid. Just, you know, I mean, for me, yeah. I got paid in those situations. Right. So I did want to do well. Yeah. 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 Um, so, but, but that, the whole point is that being that you do have a unique voice. Right. Something that I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see anyone else or hear anyone no, else and, doing. And, no, and, and, you know, hopefully um, that, that'll change. Yeah. Um, when someone uh, sees my act and uh, says, you know, we think this, because I, I believe that I think people are caring about that issue less and less every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't care where you're from. And I do believe that they don't want the same type of gay guy on every day of being the guy who's like, I want to fix up your house or right. fix your wife's gown. Right. Or, I, I want to do none of those things. Right. Um, and I think that that will change. Will it take time? Yes. I think that 
probably being who I am maybe hurts me in the short run mm -hmm. because I think people gravitate towards what they've seen work and people love that effeminate gay guy who's by the way very funny sure it's yeah. just not me yeah so to me I'm like that guy that it's like it does kind of throw you for a loop um and 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 it, it's something that I feel like it, it and people say to me oh that's such a great thing you have and it's like no it's just who I am it's not I sure. don't have it hatch it it's not like you know it's what great I mean? that you pick that up trust me I'd much rather be straight and an anchor on Fox <laughs> News which I would totally be I mean I don't know if you've yeah. seen or heard me, but uh, a family values rant would be pretty, pretty convincing. Well, I think for... I think to that point is that one of the other things that I love about you is that you seem like you're just so like all American, like you're an all American guy. I, I well, I, I am what I am. Yeah, yeah I am. And because you know, well, I I'm from Long Island. I'm, I'm a, a trash bag. But the know? thing is, and you played lacrosse. I heard. Well, that's the thing, cause, right? You you were no, no. no I was oh, lacrosse. you lied to me. I played I'm lacrosse. So I, 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 you were a lacrosse I, player I, in no, high school. I talk a lot about I. I think lacrosse players have to be very like attractive. Okay, so you're, my oh, perfect, well, thank you. I mean, my you perfect know. guy would be like a lacrosse player who went to an Ivy League school who's a banker on Wall Street, like right. Satan, yeah. basically Satan. <laughs> right, would be my. But the idea, like, because I'm also from Long Island. I'm a, from, but I'm from like the North Shore. It's a little. Oh, different. you're cultured. I know what you're. Yeah, oh, no, it's a whole, it I, is different. I love that. Like, I'm from the South Shore. Many of my friends are like, yeah. "Yo, what are you doing? <laughs> right. What are you doing? You're still doing that comedy? I like the yeah. joke you do about that." That uh, semen shit. It's You're good. in Strong Island. He's in Long Island. Yeah, right. <laughs> but okay. So the, the point that I'm trying to make is that when I say American, like for some reason, growing up for me, I felt like I there were certain like classic American experiences that I never had for whatever reason. Like I never worked a really shitty like customer service job. I never like dated. That is that is very apparent. Well, <laughs> <laughs> by the way. I never <laughs> worked. No, Buffy. <laughs> I don't get. My, but I, like, I never had like the crazy girl. Like these, I never delivered pizza. Like these classic kind of American tales that I is love. That a classic to hear. It is no, like the a delivering pizza who like sells weed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But okay. So I want to talk about the jobs, like the tour guide, the Staten yeah. Island stuff. I mean, well, when I first moved to New York City, yeah. I was on my favorite job, unemployment. Uh, this really was <laughs> the, the best, best job. And ever. then when, when that ran away, I had um, I had a couple of bucks from Hurricane Sandy, FEMA. Oh, that's you. a whole, how the did that gift that keeps on giving. Was your... My house was ruined, but my grandmother, it was all fixed with insurance okay. and everything like that. By the way, Hurricane Sandy was like the best thing that ever happened to anyone <laughs> out there. And I know people are going to get angry when I say that, but I know guys who have like new caddies because of that yeah, and, and right. I listen it, people did get displaced and it was hard yeah. and, I, and, I, and I am trying to joke and make light of it but sure. Hurricane Sandy will be our excuse for the next yeah. 30 years right. like I, I mean they're still doing fundraisers today for yeah. Hurricane Sandy I'm yeah. like why are you waiting like w what's the next fundraiser for 9-11 like come on like <laughs> Like that'll be our. You'll be late for job interview three years from now from Long Island. You'll be like, well, you, well, you know, it's Sandy. It's so tough, and you know, I mean, I, you know, I, it's it's so. I on my podcast, I will do an. We're doing an episode called the Hurricane Sandy Fraud, right? Which is going to make a lot of people angry. And that's by the way, my whole podcast will be that. Yeah. But yeah. I think it was just so those experiences when I first came to New York City, I got this job telemarketing, selling copiers in Staten Island. Ooh, yeah. Staten Island is the most depressing place in the world. And I know that because you have to take a boat to get there. Right. And the boat is free. <laughs> it's three dollars to go three blocks in New York City right. on the subway or in a cab. That's a thirty minute bus ride, and they're like, that one's on us. Bus, bus. <laughs> Enjoy. It's the only place in New York City where I've seen depressed toddlers, <laughs> two and three year olds who have given up on their lives, uh, who Look, they who are very uh, wa world weary yeah. right. at, at the age of a toddler. I mean, I remember one day there was a there was like a, there was a porpoise or some shitty fish as we were docking <laughs> the boat, and the mothers were trying to get the kids to be like, "Oh, it's a dolphin, Johnny. Come look, it's a dolphin." 
And like the kids just looked at the mother and none of them even responded. And like their internal monologue, like when they looked at their mother, they were like, Ma, we're on a boat owned by the government. <laughs> there are no dolphins in my life. Yeah. And then I would go, I'd take, by the way, I'd get off that bus and take an hour and a half bus ride in uh, Staten Island yeah, to yeah. the end of Staten Island to Tottenville uh, and work at this copy company where I'd call up and say, hi, this is Tim Dillon from Blankety Blank's office systems. Uh, you know, just giving you guys a call. We know that the lease on the equipment is uh, coming up for expiration recently. And, uh, you know, we got somebody in the area who'd like to come in for five or ten minutes. Just keep you updated on what we have going on. And and I do that for 300 calls a day. And I was pretty good at it. I yeah. was so good they promoted me. <laughs> you have so an good. amazing voice. Well, like, I have you're a good, good voice. And I'm like a good bullshitter and right. everything like yeah. that. You know, it's like the girls that I used to date. Like every time they're like, wait a minute. Why are you, you know, what's that picture on your phone? I'm like, have more lunch. Did I tell you about, <laughs> did I tell you about, you know, or whatever. Defara's pizza is so good. Um so I, and by the way, it's all Italian company. It was hilarious. Like I used to joke oh. around. Like you would get, you would get uh, a, a copier and like a and and you know sauce. You'd right. get like gravy with the copy. <laughs> right. Like all the names were great. It was like it was like, did you speak to Rosalie about your check? <laughs> uh, the, you know, and then, so then they want to promote me. So I go back to yeah. New York City. They're like, we want to send you to meet Al. <laughs> On on Sixth Avenue, Ooh, Brian Al. Park. So I mean, Al, which by the way, I still really like Al. Al's like a really yeah. good dude. I, I have a very affection towards guys in sales. I love those guys. I hate uh, pointy-headed intellectuals. I make an exception for Pace, but because <laughs> these are the guys I grew up with, and they they all have right. good hearts. You know what I mean? They'll be like, like I, I I'm sure like some of them will be like that fag. It's not a bad fag. Like, right. but they have good hearts. So I, I end up in this uh, interview with this guy Al, and he's got every sales interview is the same. It's a guy with black slick back hair. He's saying things like, you earn what you want here, you know? <laughs> and they're asking you every question in the book that has nothing to do with sales. Like, he's like, you like sports? <laughs> I'm like, uh, and by the way, this guy's nose, he looked like a dragon. Like, he had done so much cocaine <laughs> that his face had been deformed, okay? <laughs> he looks like a character out of, like, Game of Thrones. Yeah. So he's sitting there, he's like, you like sports? He's like, yeah, you're a Giants guy. You're a Giants guy. I could tell. I go, I'm like, ah, not really. I'm not into it. He's like, Yankees, you're Yankees. He's like, Mets? It's okay if you're a Mets guy. We got a Mets guy, Tommy. I'm like, no, no, no. We're there for a half hour. He's like, Padres? What is it? I don't understand. Basically, they just want to be like, listen, you're not a queer, right? We're paying you a small base. Um, <laughs> but so, so you go through that thing and... It was just tough being yeah. a sales guy. I was not bad at it, but I was just... So then you have to walk around and get in these office buildings, like Bluff, and get in these big towering buildings where they have all the security, and the doormen think they're like part of the Joint Terrorism Task Force. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're yeah. like, well, who are you going to see? You know? Right. And I've got a face that just... Uh, like, I could walk into a building, and like four guys with bombs strapped to their back and walk into a building. Right. I'm, the oldest security is headlining right to me. <laughs> I don't know why. It's a face. I got a look where like I just get picked out, and they're like, what, what, what's your problem? So I did that for a while, and then I had, to, I had to quit. I said, you know what? Everyone always said to me, you know what? You, know, you should be a tour guide on the double-decker bus. That'll be better. And I said, you know what? I can't wear a suit every day and do sales and, and then do comedy at night. I'm like, That's the thing. You're doing, you're doing stand-up every night. I'm doing stand-up every yeah, night. I have a show every night. Commute. I have yeah. a show every night this week except tonight. And, and, and like, so to me, it's like I, I'm doing this crazy commute, but I did it. I'm getting up at 6, and I'm doing it, and I'm literally wearing myself yeah. to the bone. So... Right. And I'm recording these very funny videos on the ferry, and my friends are like, this is hilarious, but I'm like, literally, again, you know, I'm, I'm on like the verge of suicide. Right. But the other thing is, is that you had made the decision, uh, however many months before, that you're going to pursue comedy. So kind of whatever it takes to get to that yes, point. Very so true. I got to take some job that I'm not necessarily passionate right. about that I can leave and at the office. And sales, you feel guilty because it's like they keep going, well, you got to do better. And like, you know, like, as a guy that used to be in sales, I'm like, if I'm not totally committed to the sales job, this is not fair to these dudes. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not fair. Yeah. And like, all my friends are like, just go in and take the base and everything. 
and I'm like, hey, dude, it's not fair. They're going to sniff me out eventually. And I still left that company open where if something happens with my Toyota job, I can go back. Nice. I can go yeah. back if something happens. Because I called them and I was honest. I said, listen, I can't do this. So then I get a job as a tour guide. I take <laughs> some crazy tests about New York. I love New York. I love old real estate. Yeah. I love the super rich. I love money. I love the Dakota. <laughs> and San Remo and all those buildings on Central Park West. Yeah. And I, you know, I read about all these crazy realtors, and I, I'm really like a lunatic, and I eat at very nice restaurants, and I spend all my money in a very, in a, in a very irresponsible way, like <laughs> eat, eating at these really great places yeah. and everything. My uncle's a director of operations for like this big steakhouse chain, and since I was a little kid, I was a food snob, and I'm a big disaster, right? right. So I figured, this is a great job. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I know about all this crap, um, and I do it. And listen, it is fun. It is hectic. It is crazy. How many tour groups do you do? do, you do I do that? three a day. I'm on the top of the double-decker bus. Well, we, how long is the ride? Downtown tour will be like two hours, two hours and 20 minutes. Uptown tour will be like an hour and 45 minutes. And I'm assuming you're, also, you're, you're, on, you're on mic. You have an audience. I'm on mic. You have an audience, but they I, don't all speak English. Some of them are listening to, because we have buses that play the tour in other languages, right. like a pre-planned tape, but those languages, those languages never work, by yeah, the way, right. and all the people are shaking their head and they get really angry, and you're like, right. I don't know what to do, and... And then they stand up on the double-decker bus and they could get, like, decapitated. The lights outside. <laughs> you know, as you go up past the Dakota on Central Park yeah. West, those lights hang really low. You can yeah. get your head yeah. chopped off. So I'm like, sit down. Sit down. And then there's just an Asian lady's coming up screaming at me, Empire State. And I'm like, we're in Harlem. Like, this is not, you're on the wrong tour. <laughs> but, but do you do bits, too? Do you fit work in material? I, mean, I do yeah. what I can. I mean, I do off-the-cuff stuff. And yeah. I, I mean, I, I make little jokes. And, and I work okay. show, you know. <laughs> I mean, I can't start doing real controversial, right. like, you know, <laughs> let me pull out my pro-bullying stuff. But, you know, everybody knows that cheesecake's funny, yeah, so okay. I talk about that. You know, my, my tour is very food-oriented and very uh-huh. real estate-oriented. Yeah. I'll tell you what, apartment went for $88 million, which one went for $100 million, you know, what the Vanderbilt Mansion is, what the, and people like that stuff. Yeah. And then I'll tell you where to get cheesecake, where to get Broadway show tickets, where to get pizza, leave me alone. Yeah, right. I'm not going to tell you about the history of New York. You don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. It was dangerous in the 70s and 80s. Uh, <laughs> it was dangerous before that. It's better now. Get over it. Right. You know, there's people, so, but I do get more tips than many people because I make it fun. Yeah. Yeah. I put in a very menial amount of history and mostly like, okay, this is what it would cost to live in New York. Here's what a studio apartment would cost you. That fascinates people. I talk about comedy and how all my friends live. I talk about how all my finance friends live. I talk about the different worlds in New York. I talk about, they get an experience about New yeah. York. But again, if I could quit tomorrow and do comedy full time, oh yeah, I'd love that. Sure. But you, I mean, you could have picked a worse job. It is not that, a bad you gig. Know, to have, literally be up there in front of an audience yeah. with a microphone, you're talking. Yeah, um, I love my friend. Helps. My friend's like, you're going to lose your voice. I'm like, have you heard my voice? <laughs> I oh, like have lost better. my voice. Like I'm not Barbara Streisand. Yeah. So, right. You know? okay, give us give us that worst gig story about uh, that book the bookstore. Well, I mean, there's I, I did a, a bookstore in um, I did Borders Books. They were all you know everybody was like 75. Um, <laughs> they couldn't hear you. You didn't know if they could hear you or not. Uh, there was a, a man in the middle of the, the the room who looked like he had expired. <laughs> He was asleep. You know, I mean, I did a temple, Walk too. Away. I did a temple where they were yeah. all 75, uh-huh. and I did okay at the temple. I mean, I've done some older rooms where they're, where they're very much older. Um, I've done, you know, rooms. I did a bowling alley in East Hampton, and I thought it would be funny to get out and go, what the hell type of East Hampton is this? I thought I was performing at Calvin Klein's house. <laughs> um, you know, now I'm here, and, and, and like... And then I alluded to the fact that like I was barely gonna, I wasn't gonna get out of there alive. And like some guys like, yeah, if you're lucky. I just offended these. <laughs> I just offended <laughs> these buddy. people, and I didn't even mean to. Right. I just got out and said, oh, they'll be able to laugh at themselves, not even thinking like, oh, this is where they are on a Saturday night. This is their home. Right. This is not their like your concept of East Hampton is not their concept of yeah. East Hampton. Right. What are you doing? Um. So sometimes 
gigs. You know, one, one, one bar I did, it was like this, like people were tweaking out on meth. I thought it would be horrible. And it was amazing. And they were literally, guys are asking me for doing drugs in the bathroom, coming out, loving everything I was saying, getting applause, stand-up applause. There was a pit bull on the bar stool. <laughs> he was one of the people watching. This was in Ronkonkoma, Long Island, by the train station, oh, which is, yeah. 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 It was the bar, the, by the way, the bar that you was in used to be called Tracks, like Track Mart. Like, yeah. it, was, it was a hot spot for oh. heroin dealing. Yeah, but they loved me, and it was like, you know what? Who knows? Like, it's the weirdest. I had a birthday show at the Creek in the Cave. My friends all came, and they didn't laugh at anything. <laughs> they didn't laugh at me. I had guys, brilliant comedians on the show, yeah. who'd been on TV multiple times. They were amazing. Right. Yeah. These people didn't laugh at anything. And then they all left and went, that was so funny, man. That was great. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you, you don't know. Like, they didn't get it that it was like, this is a laughter thing. This is right. not just like, you stare at it. Right. It's not a movie. Like, you never, and that's the thing about comedy is it's just the unpredictability yeah. of it. And just the, the when you make a choice, like one, one guy had a great, he wrote a little blog about moving to New York City and he said, and he had a great quote, he's like, when you move to New York City to, to be a comedian, you decide that you want to be a comedian and nothing else. Right. And that's it. Like to me, any day job that gets in the way of that has to go. Right. Any relationship that gets in the way of that, that no, the person does not understand the commitment to it has to go. Mm -hmm. Right. Other than that, every gig I can get, every time I can get up in front of a mic, the guys like Louis C.K. said, get up everywhere you can. Who am I to argue with him? You know, guys yeah. like Bill Hicks did every, who was one of my favorites, did every gig no matter what. And Bill Hicks's bad gig stories are like, they're real. I mean, you Google his worst gig. Yeah, right. There are people waving guns and chasing him out, and he's on acid. I mean, he's a legend. But yeah, right. so, like, every time I like am unhappy with a bookstore response, I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah, just right. like, what a pussy. So, but so now you've been doing it for a few years, and back when we were doing it together, it was really just open mics. Yes. Where it's like, so now you've gotten to a point where you're really you're doing a lot of shows, I'm and doing I know a lot more shows now than mics, which is great. But you're indeed. still doing mics. Uh, oh yeah, because yeah. mics are the who cares? Yeah. Mics are the build material. Mics are the mics are the mics are the dirt. Right. Yeah. And you gotta. Get through the dirt. And I know that you also recently went out with Dan St. Germain, who's also been on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and what's your take? I mean, if you were, had the ability to become a road comic, is that something that you're interested as long in? As long as I'm, as long as I'm, as long as, you know what it is? Like, I had a talk with a bunch of comics the other night, and we're like, where do you see yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. Where do I see myself? Not being a tour guide. Literally, that's the <laughs> only plan I have. If, if I can make 30 grand, 20 grand a year as a road guy, right. and with the hopes that something yeah. grows from that right. or with the hopes that I become bigger and better. I mean, because you'll never be happy with who you are. Road guy sounds great to me right now. I yeah. could go and do shows all the time. I don't have to go to Mike's. I don't have to have a day job. Great. I'm sure after five years on the road, I'd be like, oh, this guy kept me to Hollywood. Right. And then I'm sure after five years there, I'd be like, well, I don't want to be doing these stupid little TV roles. I want to be a real comic in the cellar and doing theaters. And it's, a, you, know, you know, Mark Maron had a great line. It's like wherever you end up is not necessarily where you think you'll end up. I mean, doing yeah. that gig with Dan, we went out to the Comedy Attic, probably the best room I've ever done. The yeah. most astute, smart, uh, grateful audience, appreciative of comedy, mm -hmm. fans of comedy. Two people bought us dinner that owned a restaurant. It was a vegan yeah. restaurant. That's fine, though. <laughs> That's Still fine. Free We're in Bloomington. It's a college town. Right. Yeah. But... I've probably I mean, been at that restaurant. Can yeah. you imagine on Long Island people being like, we really liked your set. Let's buy you a dinner. Where would can they you take you? Wait, like... They wouldn't Borellis. buy but they wouldn't buy they wouldn't buy you anything. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like you would never get that because we're spoiled in New York. It's like yeah. you're not Chris Rock. Right. You're not Seinfeld. I want right. to be on Vinny's boat. When you're out 
in 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 areas where this is the entertainment and you're appreciative of it. You're like, wow, you know, right. this is the entertainment for the night. Yeah. So I love that. So to me, just getting a little taste of what that would be. Oh, tomorrow. I mean, that's kind of the uh, we can you can compare that to when we first started touring and playing yep. music and just the idea that you were playing outside of your hometown, whatever that is. Yeah. And there are people who you don't know who you've never seen. However many, however few there are, come to see you, and it's just and you get off on that as opposed got, like, to like, family members yeah. who have never yeah. left the state, never that's left great. the coast. Yeah. And, and that's like, what oh. Seinfeld said: the proper form of the craft of comedy. I'm paraphrasing him, but is to be like the stranger, the outsider, the guy right. who kind of cruises in a town. Makes you laugh and leaves. Yeah, that's what it's about. Even so. as a musician, I always preferred that. And that's I, I think, prefer I think, no yeah. people not knowing anyone there. Like, I think I don't comedy and music like is just so similar. I think music's cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, I think music. Yeah, more, you're right. <laughs> I know. I do. I mean, I, I do. I think uh, it, it's more universal to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah. But I mean, I think there's so many similarities in the sense that you know it, it, it is the type of art form that you you can't do. Alone in a loft, like right. a painter. Yeah, and then you, you know what I mean. It's not. It's something where when you play it live, the room you're playing it in, the town you're in, all of that determines the course. I mean, it changes. It becomes yeah. something else. Yeah. And, and speaking yeah. of music, I mean, also knowing that you were a big like John Prine fan, you had oh, you had good, you had really good taste in oh, music. Oh, huge! Uh, like, huge! I saw there like, is a hole in yeah. Timmy's arm where yeah. all the money yeah. goes. John oh, Prine okay. is, uh, is. I love those guys. I love. Well, my dad was a musician, and he had a band okay. in Long Island, a big band. When we grow, when I was growing up, it was called Full Circle. It was in the seventies, and like they toured around and mm-hmm. did, you know the tri-state area and yeah. just stuff like that. And he instilled in me a love of guys like John Prine and John Hyatt and Lucinda yeah, yeah. Williams yeah. and. Uh, you know, all these off the beaten track people that I ended up like, and then I ended up turning around and exposing him to people like Ani DeFranco and right. the newer generation of independent and John Gorka and all these folk musicians that were just different. And right. then my dad was yeah. like, they'll never be famous, but they just, they have a, a guitar and they're telling a story. Right. Yeah. And to this day, I still try to see Gorka once a year, Hyatt once a year, if I can mm-hmm. see Sean Colvin or Dar Williams. I love those guys. I love somebody who gets on a stage with a guitar and goes, I'm going to tell a story. Well, I'll right. tell you this, like after... I'm so not. Yeah. No gay man would <laughs> like is really like that. Like, and and so many of my friends are like, you know, they want to go out and they want to dance and they want to do like. Right. And I'm just like, you don't want to hear, you don't want to hear someone with a guitar talk about right. Muhlenberg County, Virginia. Yeah. What's wrong with yeah. you? Get well, it together. When once I stopped playing music or stopped playing in the band and like and I and I my starting to go to concerts less and less. The right. shows that I would go to, I saw John Prine when I was living in Austin uh, at at UT at mm-hmm. uh, the, the school there, just on stage with a guitar. Right. And I was sitting six stories. I don't know how high. Like, I don't know how it was humanly possible that right. I was in a building this high right. watching him. Lindsey Buckingham was another guy that I saw. I just like right. no opening act, yep. no bullshit. You just right. go out like. And uh, yeah. I heard this song John Prine did. It's called, called Lake Marie. Mm-hmm. And it was on FUV, which, you know, big, yeah. big station that my dad used to listen to. I was in the car. Fordham, and I, right? Yeah. That's Fordham. Now I'm like, now I'm getting into jazz because I talk about it so much on my tour. I'm like, uh-huh. listening to John Coltrane <laughs> yeah, and, the and Miles Davis. And I'm becoming like a jazz snob and like yeah. jazz bow. Yeah. And I'm like, and like, <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, I, I just started listening to it because I thought it'd be a way for me to feel like better than people. Right. Because I'm really like, you know, petty and inauthentic. <laughs> sure. So. I like to create myself every day. So now I'm into it and I'm like, and everyone's like, you've only been listening it to a week. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to throw out things that they don't know. But I'm really, cause it's like, when I hear jazz, I hear New York City. I right. think that's like the sure, official yeah. music of New York. But like one thing I love about my dad is my dad really exposed me to art that was not on anyone's radar. Mm-hmm. My dad said, there's a value to guys like John Prine, even though he's not on 
Z100. There's <laughs> yeah, a value. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You're, there's a value to guys like that. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to, you know, there's a value to this art. And my and I was just, I respected my dad so much that he was a, a musician and mm-hmm. he kind of did what he wanted to. And that, so that to me was like, you know, in, in comedy, that's why I love um, some people that are, are, well, they'll never be comedy megastars. Right. But they're being who they are and they have this, this value. Yeah. I think in our society, too often, it's just all about who's on TV. Oh, you know what I mean? I mean, and when it comes to like, yeah, like especially in music, but and in comedy, like that's how I, you know, like some of my favorite bands have sold like a thousand records, right? But they really mean more to me than. You know, they're obviously mean more to me than like it's, you know Britney Spears, uh, uh, whatever. I'm Britney Spears, old, and nice old careers, like, topical. John Prine yeah. has a really I'm, great yes. career. He does. Yeah. All of these people, you know, Dar Williams. I'm a huge fan of. Um, she has a great career. I mean, they make a living doing what they love. Yep. They sell music. They pack yep. venues. Doing. Working through the shit to do what you love. That's what we're together what it is. is all That's about. That's what it all is. Oh, so Summing to, it up. To, 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 to sum it up, well, sure. I just as as a food guy. Yes. What's the what's the most disappointing meal you've had recently? Something you were really excited for, and it was the worst. It well, not maybe not the worst, but we call it the worst food. Good ever. question. What's, yeah. yeah, something that you just felt didn't 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 wasn't up to par. The Tim Dillon standard of not excellence. Up to snuff. I'm a huge fan of Peter Luger's. I go mm-hmm. once a year, twice a year. My uncle is a director of operations for Smith and Walensky's, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but I am a steakhouse guy. I grew up on red meat. I went to Luger's recently, and they just the the meat, the meal was just. And I've always had great food there. Nothing else is great there. The service is okay. Yeah, sure, it's it's too well lit. It's like a museum. There's nothing <laughs> else is going for it. I haven't been there. Do they pride themselves on being old and cranky and service? Oh yeah, that's yeah. all part of like, it. You know, like a but I mean, I I had a meal there the other day where I was just eating the. The, the steak, which is usually the best porterhouse in the world, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I was just, I just walked out of it just not feeling good about it. It was just an <laughs> off night. It was a legend having an off night. Yeah. Right. But you know what? It happens. Yeah. I talked to somebody the other day who saw George Carlin, and he was just having an off night when he was alive, you know, and he was just right. bombing and angry and yelling. And, yeah. you know, I mean, that's it. I mean, in terms of, I have disappointing meals all the time. Now that I have less money, they're few and few. And, you know, it's, like, it's like the disappointing bodega sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he did not put any love into right. this at 3 a.m. And right. I know I said mustard. God, yeah. Right, right, right. So, Tim, to bring everything full circle. Yes, question. quit comedy. That's if anyone, <laughs> you've learned anything today. That was the point of this. Yeah, so get you a real something. estate license. You were, uh, a question that we ask all of our guests on the show. What do you think of the word gig? gig. It's it's a perfect word for what it is mm-hmm. because it's this short, snappy. It could be gig. It, it's like it, it it's perfect for me for what it is because you you don't know what it is, right? What, what the hell is it? <laughs> right? You don't know what you're walking into, right? It's not a show, right? Yeah. It's not an event, right? It's not. It's a gig. It's just. It's its own thing. That's what I like about that word. It's like it's this huge umbrella <laughs> right. that encompasses the great weekend at the Comedy Attic. And the sad New Year's Eve show, and the New York Law School talent show, right. and the bookstore, all of and them. the gig where you're going to get stabbed, and the, <laughs> and it, Wild Childs, and, and Wild Child to bring it all back, Wild and, Child, and Wild Child, and that's it, yeah. and that's and that's and by the way, one thing about gigs is in this business, right? It's all you can ask for. Yeah, oh, that, what that's a perfect right. way, right, Tim, to wrap. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you for having yeah, me. The last you, thing man. we want to say to you. I don't know if you're going out to Long Island. I don't know if you're going to some rehab center to entertain. You got a whole bunch of stuff on your plate. From Jeff and I, get home safe. Thank you. Word.
Worst gig ever. 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 ever.